So uh, in, 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 on the technology front, there's no way uh, around the, uh, the U.S. In terms of market uh, importance, uh, China two thirds of China's exports go to developed economies. Uh, ASEAN, uh, ASEAN uh, is uh, it's, this ASEAN is still relatively small. It's about three trillion dollar GDP. Uh, and uh, its income level is quite low. So uh, even though it's got a 700 million people, so it, it's it's uh, it, it's not like uh, it's going to power China's uh, trade growth. Hmm. Andy, a pleasure to talk to you once again. Thank you very much. That's Andy Shi, Shanghai-based independent economist. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Uh, in the markets, stocks in in Australia are halted at the moment because of a data uh, glitch in Japan. The Nikkei 225 is up one and a third percent. Futures markets here indicating that the Hang Seng is going to add close to 300 points at the open this morning. That's uh, just over one percent. Brent crude oil trading at $43.08 a barrel, and uh, gold is at $1,890 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Back chat's coming up with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine. The maximum temperature is going to be about 27 degrees. Uh, sunny intervals tomorrow, relatively humid and warm during the day in the middle and latter parts of this week. Temperature right now, it's 23 degrees and it's 77% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. An investigation is underway into Hong Kong's deadliest fire in almost a decade. Seven people, including a nine-year-old, have died and more than a dozen are in hospital after the fire broke out in a four-storey building in Jordan last night. Seven are reported to be in critical condition, as Steve Dunthorne reports. Firefighters rushed to the scene after the police received reports of smoke billowing from a first-floor unit at the tenement on Canton Road. It's thought candles from a family celebration may have been responsible. Police are investigating whether the unit, which had only one entrance, was operating as an unlicensed Nepalese restaurant. Some of those present were trapped in the kitchen. At least one person fled through a bathroom window. The United States has now registered 11 million coronavirus cases as health experts join calls for President Trump to stand down so that Joe Biden can get to grips with the country's growing health crisis. The leading U.S. infectious disease expert, Anthony Fauci, said it would be better for public health if the transition began immediately. Donald Trump has so far refused to stand down. The former U.S. President Barack Obama has warned that a lack of commonly held facts fueled by conspiracy theories is causing the United States to become ever more divided and resentful. Mr. Obama said there was more division now than when he came to power 12 years ago. Some of that is attributable to our current president who actively fanned division because he felt it was good for his politics. But it preceded him and it will outlast him. Some of it has to do with broad socioeconomic factors, growing inequality, the growing division between rural and urban America. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is having to self-isolate after meeting a member of Parliament who's tested positive for the coronavirus. Mr Johnson, who had a severe case of COVID-19 earlier in the year, has no symptoms but was told to isolate by the National Coronavirus Tracking System. Here's the BBC's Nick Eardley. 
It comes ahead of what was expected to be a big week for the government, with Mr Johnson seeking to get back on the front foot after the faction fighting of recent days. He's expected to continue to speak to the country from isolation, and Number 10 is understood to be exploring ways he could contribute to Parliament remotely. Mr Johnson has of course tested positive for the virus in the past, but that doesn't mean an exemption under the test and trace rules. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. And we're talking today about COVID and about the closure of kindergartens. There were five local cases of COVID-19 reported yesterday, one of which had no clear source. And the government is introducing mandatory testing for high-risk groups with a threat of prison for anyone who refuses. And the new distancing measures starting from today, restaurants will be allowed to seat no more than four diners at a table instead of six. So we're back to four and capacity reduced from 75% of the usual level to half. And the government has ordered a two-week suspension of face-to-face teaching at all kindergartens amid an outbreak of upper respiratory tract infections. The authorities have reported about 170 outbreaks involving some 1,900 people. This was last week. 60% of the outbreaks involve kindergartens and daycare centres. As the numbers of local infections linger, are our measures appropriate? Can the travel bubble scheme go ahead? And how are kindergartens coping with the situation? The teachers, the organisers, and of course the parents and children let us know your thoughts your experiences your questions and your comments you can call us on 233-88266 you can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our facebook page that's backchat and rthk radio 3 and share your comments there that's uh, 233-88266 uh, joining us for the first part of the uh, program we have some uh, doctors joining us uh, after the news at nine we have uh, adriana chan founder and principal of uh, Mass International Preschool and uh, Mr. Uh, Chen Kai-Yin, who's principal of the Kwokman Vernacular Normal Anglo-Chinese Kindergarten. Once again, our number 233-88266. Just before we get into that, so a few comments on uh, various uh, other issues. Uh, Alan says, um, your back chat, your, this is in reference to Friday's programme, your caller is, I think this is Ross Feingold, uh, is both siding the question of why the Republicans won't accept the results of the election. Garbage. The Republicans have to fight a Senate runoff election in January and they want to activate their base by telling them Biden stole the election. And uh, Andrew Kay says, with the subject line, PolyU student Indian, on Hong Kong today at 8.45 today, you were giving, uh, t- giving airtime to their spokesperson. Why do you give airtime to people who, in spite of being in university-level education, cannot formulate a sensible statement? And Mr Tang, who is a teacher, says, with the subject line, a prudent move to close kindergartens and day centres. The two-week suspension of face-to-face teaching at all kindergartens and daycare centres is a prudent move, given the spike in upper respiratory tract infections. We cannot afford to see small children, who are a vulnerable group, suffer the double whammy of the potentially imminent peak flu season and fourth wave of COVID-19 pandemic. 
make. Young kids at kindergartens are nowhere near their counterparts at primary and secondary school in terms of awareness of hand hygiene and social distancing, since small children by nature like to play with one another and have lots of physical contact. Understandably, school suspension means parents need to scramble to reschedule their work commitments and look for adults to look after kids. Yet the possible spread of infections among children should not be taken lightly, since the elderly or chronically at home may also be infected. The health consequences of adopting a lax attitude towards a pandemic could be dire. The convenience brought about by school suspension cannot be totally averted, but it's better to err on the side of caution. That's from Mr Tang, who, as I say, is uh, a teacher. Uh, Adriana Chan, good morning to you. Morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us this morning. Uh, okay, um, uh, what difference does it make to you uh, and the uh, kindergarten? How, how tricky is this for you and your, your preschool, uh, this new arrangement? Um, the suspension was quite sudden and I mm. think um, it caused quite a lot of pressure to teachers in the school like we just hear from the news um, on Thursday I remember and then that night we need to work overtime to prepare the work for the suspensions period uh, so that the children can collect it on Friday and then we need to start also making some e-learning videos again on Friday so that it can be launched on Monday so it was quite hectic. So this is very, very short notice. Um, yes, actually we get the news just the same as other people from, the, from TV. All right, as, same as members of the public. Hey, this, this talk of upper respiratory, whatever, this sounds like a posh way of saying a cold. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's a technical term. <laughs> yes, I, I'm sure it's correct, yeah. but this must happen every year. Um, it has been, we, I mean, we have been living with cold and flu all, all our lives, I think. Yes. And the, the children go to school and give it to each other. And if they have a bad case, they have a couple of days off. Uh, yes, uh, it was what happened before the pandemic. Right. So, so it's the sort of intersection of something that's quite normal and we're all used to. It's part of daily life, but it's the intersection of that with COVID-19, you think, that's driven this? Yeah, I think that now people, I mean, the government is more uh, vigilant and they just think it's better to take, you know, more more, more prevention from any outbreak. I, I think the school suspension policy may be the most effective way to break the chain of infection and stop the outbreak at schools immediately. But however, we have to live with the fact that virus will not be eliminated um, forever in reality. If Whenever there is an outbreak of virus in several schools, the EDP just simply suspends all kindergartens and even maybe primary schools. In the long run, it will affect the learning and development of the students, which we should also take you know, into account right. that. Do you think it should be school by school? I think it will be more sensible, uh, but also depends on the percentage of school get outbreak then. I just think that school suspension should be the last resort. But right now we can see that uh, school suspension it seems to be the first solution of the government that they can come up with whenever there is some outbreak of virus. W were you ready? I mean, having done uh, e-learning uh, in the past, were you ready to switch back into that? 
yeah, we are ready. We are quite used to it, mm. uh, honestly. However, the effectiveness of e-learning to young children, especially kindergarten children, is actually, I have a very big question mark. <laughs> we started Zoom as well. Like, you know, a lot of parents pressing, oh, the other school was doing Zoom. Why you're not using Zoom? Okay, we try that. Come on. Kids cannot do Zoom without the support of the parents. And in our school, like exactly. m- most parents are working parents, they cannot just skip their, their work for months just to Zoom with us. And children, you know, to teach them the discipline of Zoom, everything is new, you know. It's not just a FaceTime for one, once in a blue moon, but it's everyday Zoom. It's, uh, it's totally ridiculous, I think. So we, we switch back to video, give them instructional video, activities to do at home. But then the videos, we need to prevent it. I have to approve it. And we have, you know, several levels. So you can imagine how many videos I have to see and approve every day. So mm. actually, I work till midnight every every day during the suspension period. <laughs> Chen Kaying, you're, you're agreeing. Yeah, sure. I'm absolutely agreeing. Yes. Because, well, uh, I think that um, we are experienced. Uh, every year we have to face different kind of uh, infectious diseases such as flu, hand, foot, mouth disease, something like that. Well, I think that most of our teachers and workers know how to clean our school, but then uh, in this uh, past around 10 months or 12 months, okay, we try our best to uh, prepare many videos for the, the students, but well, I think that we really need to spend a lot of time to proofread all the videos, which is, I think that it, that is not very efficient for uh, students to uh, uh, efficient for their uh, for the learning. Okay, I really agree with uh, Ms. Chen. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Cheng. Uh, good morning. What? Good morning. Uh, what about the effect on the parents here? I mean, uh, Ms. Chen referred to that already. Um, some parents just have to go to work. Yes. Uh, is there well, a, a, what's happening to the children? Are they being left alone, or are they be farmed off on neighbors or other relatives? Uh, I think in my school, most of them, are, uh, most of our students are, uh, have to stay at home. And then uh, most of the parents, maybe one of them have to have their uh, uh, annual leave, something like that, so that uh, they can have some, uh, so that they can take care of the children. But, uh, well, actually most of them have to work, and that is affecting their, their, their job. Uh, yeah. So it's... It's affecting their employers and the economy yes, generally. I'm, I'm, I suppose in some cases it's affecting family income. Right. Uh, if you're being paid by a piece rate or daily basis, uh, if you yeah, take, you're taking time off, you, that's uh, no money. Uh, some case worse. I, I know that they're losing their job already. Right. Uh, how long do you think this closure will last? I have no idea, actually, because uh, now uh, the suspension policy is long last for at least two weeks, right? But if the primary school would have their suspension in the future, I think that, well, I think that I would I I miss my students uh, after Christmas, I think. Okay. Hmm. What, what's, what, how do you approach this? Uh, uh, we heard that Adriana Chan talking about using videos. Uh, do you use videos? Um, do people want Zoom meetings? Do people want live 
yeah. kind of streaming things like that? And does does that actually work with kindergarten children? Is that even possible? Right. Um, you know that most of the kindergarten students are not keen on using, well, I think, computer, iPads, or digital device in the pandemic. And they are difficult to learn from real-time teaching by using digital platforms. Uh, we usually prepare uh, teaching videos for students. Uh, well, uh, uh, especially most of our parents have to work. They are very busy. Using Zoom to have lessons of students in the morning is impossible for my school. But I think that the advantages of preparing teaching videos for students is parents can use their spare time to play the teaching videos for students. Uh, we will prepare several videos for students every week. Well, these videos would have I think uh, storytelling story or music lesson, P lesson, homework teaching, or, or some kind of drawing demonstration or family games, okay? So that they can use these videos to teach their, uh, their kids, okay? Because I think that some of the students would need the occasional uh, childcare service. Uh, we would try our best to provide this kind of service for those students, parents who are not able to take care get children during the daytime. I just worried yeah. about the rolling effect of this. Um, right. Admittedly, it's uh, more than 60 years since I was in kindergarten, but I, as I remember kindergarten and primary school, um, it, it's a rolling wave. Somebody gets a flu, that person stays home for a couple of days and the fever goes, and then another child will have the flu sort of a week later. But you, you don't send the whole class home. You don't shut the whole school. You, you just have to, to live through it. Miss Chen? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think um, the best solution is to educate the parents and children, first of all, to maintain personal hygiene all the time. And right. right now, the school policy is that if the children have fever, they cannot come to school. But however, right. without fever, you can also carry virus. You can have flu symptoms, you can yes. be coughing. So I think right, the right, best right. way is... The children, if they have any symptoms, they should actually stay home and rest and seek medical advice. And then it will, it will be the best way to stop the chain of infection within the school campus. But right now, if some parents think that, oh, it's just a flu, no big deal, and then they send the kids to school and they have no fever, right. they enter the school campus, and that's how the virus gets spread in the school campus. And then it leads to school suspension in the whole city. And I think it is something not too sensible. So if everybody do their part, be responsible, considerate, and less selfish, then I think I always say prevention is better than school suspension. So, so everybody should do their part better. Well, I just have a feeling that in two weeks' time, we're, we're going to be in exactly the same position, that there'll be a kid at school with a bit of a cough or a bit of a fever, and someone's going to say, oh, safety first, let's shut them all again for another two weeks. Yeah, that's why I say in the long run, it is not the, the the best solution, I think, for the children. Because it seems to me that now the EDB or a lot of people think that it's okay, the kids skip school for several weeks or several months. Uh, it For me, it's not okay. For many families, it's actually not okay. And it is undermining the importance of early childhood education. If you think that, you know, kindergarten is something that the kids can live with or without, then, then why EDB offer free kindergarten in, um, education to all, right? And for me, I think early childhood education is quite fair, very important. 
for children, for their learning and development. So if we just stop the school when there is a virus, then I mean, then 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 they actually cannot go to school. You know, okay, one well, year maybe just a we, few months. We, we've got a listener who I think feels like that with the subject line "Another bad guest day." Uh, Andrew Kay says, "Who knew kindergarten is so critical?" I mean, you're saying it is critical, uh, Adriana Chan. Why? Why is it so important? Of course, you know, it is the first school of the children that they learn social skills, they have to acquire their fundamental language skills, their cognitive development, everything. There's a lot of researchers saying that early childhood education is very important for the fundamental development of children. But now it's things that it's okay the kids skip school for months, for years. It is actually, I think, not okay. If it's okay, then why we give free kindergarten education to, to children? Why don't all kids just stay home? Then there's no outbreak. My impression is that Hong Kong has closed schools more than just about anywhere else. I know a lot of other places haven't really closed the schools. On the other hand, of course, we've done very well in containing the the, the epidemic. But uh, so you can you know you could look at it both ways. But uh, 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 Mr. Cheng, uh, 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 the only survey kind of. Uh, rel uh, uh, relevant survey that I know of uh, was done in the UK uh, quite recently, I think last week, uh, and that gave what they said was a shocking decline in primary school pupils' level of attainment uh, after uh, a lockdown. Uh, after the lockdown this year, they said uh, it showed an average decline in performance of academic attainment of between 5 and 15% on previous years. Biggest drop was in math scores, and overall seven-year-olds uh, were the most impacted, and particularly those uh, from disadvantaged backgrounds. So it's the poor and the disadvantaged who are actually suffering more. Um, are, are you concerned, Mr Cheng, that the, that the also, the apart from the social kind of uh, implications, that the academic... Uh, uh, standard will suffer because of the uh, because of the of COVID. Yeah, sure. I think that the, the, keep, uh, the suspension policy keep on uh, sustained for a long time. It would be affect all of our students. their learning just like this, their, uh, uh, the that Ms. Chen talked about. I, I totally agree with the, uh, the view that you said before. Yeah, thank you. Uh, are you, Adriana Chan, what do you, what, have you noticed anything about the uh, uh, academic? Because also kindergartens in Hong Kong, people start to read, don't they, as well? Yes. Uh, it's an extra year, so it's a little bit, it sort of goes into the primary school compared to the UK or something like that. So there is a kind of relevance, uh, academic relevance. Are you noticing that children are suffering? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, uh, we do uh, vision screening every year. And funny that this year, the number of students getting, you know, failed the screening test is much higher than previous years. So I think one of the fact that like, e-learning may, may be one of the reasons. When so, were you, sorry, when were you doing that? Uh, we did that, the screening test in October, uh -huh. early October. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then the second thing is, you know, when children learn, it's not just, it's, they are not like university students. They cannot learn they usually they don't have the initiative to self-learn right and so they miss a lot of things one of the most important things for children is routine so they lost the routine so when they go back to school you actually need to teach them from the very basic part line up right. okay follow instructions and so on so it wastes a lot of time because they get a they get a structure they learn the structure yeah and they follow that and automatically yes. so in the second or third week you don't have to be shouting at everyone to queue up. They know they have to queue up. Yeah. And uh, then you can build on those habits 
yeah. to get further with the teaching. Yes. I, I sometimes wonder if the people who are making these decisions um, are as in touch with daily life as they need to be. Yes, they are quite off the ground, I would say. And also, you know, kindergarten is, we have curriculum as well. There's milestone objectives that we have to meet by the end of the year. So if you keep suspending the school, for example, reading is a very good example. We have level readers for children. So we give out books, we level the children every week. So hopefully by the end of uh, age five, they can read English. And suspension, we really cannot send the, the books home every week. How? We drive the books to school deliver, you know, a lot of things is affected and we cannot teach the kids how to read. The parents may not do as, you know, the job the same as the teachers because they don't know as well, right? So is everything is academically definitely will be affected. And these things are cumulative. Yeah. That, that's a thing from what you've said and what uh, Mr. Cheng has said that I find the, the most serious, that you, you take out, oh, it doesn't sound like much if you're sitting uh, at senior levels in the government, Yep. Oh, you know, a couple of weeks is gone. But actually, that's very disruptive because you've got to repeat again yep. the various things that you did before. Yeah. So, yeah. We're uh, going backward. That's the problem. Right, right, right. Uh, well, we've got another email. This is from Phil B, who says kindergartens are just daycare centres. I think Phil has <laughs> maybe the same length of time he's in a kindergarten as me. I think it probably yeah. is, yeah. Uh, is there a difference between Chen Kaiming, Chen Kaiin, between daycare centres and kindergartens? Well, I think that actually uh, in my school, uh, uh, I'm kindergarten and also a daycare centre, okay? But uh -huh. uh, even in different in the part of the daycare centre, we have curriculum, okay? We we'll teach students are many basic skills. Uh, for example, they need to learn how to communicate with their classmates or even teachers. They need to learn different kind of rules. So I think that even in daycare center, okay, students can learn a lot. Okay, so uh, the service of daycare center is very important also. So, uh, well, uh, I think that well, the government uh, have to think about it because where even students are studying in my daycare center or kindergarten, they, they, if, if keep, uh, uh, the suspension is long last for uh, quite a long time, they will affect their development. So, uh, yes, that's my view. Thank you. All right, here's an email from Jay uh, who says, we are still not getting the full truth. Can we have a doctor in authority update us on the situation? We will have doctors after the news at nine. Uh, Jay says, firstly, the chances of catching flu virus in the public and old has been significantly reduced, as we found in the SARS. Secondly, we've not been told whether the virus from Nepal is stronger or not. Third, we do not know properly how airborne the virus is. How is the main source of contact? Contact, is it through the fingers or is it through the eyes? One of the main primary contact places is home and eating because people are not wearing a mask. On the street, if somebody has the virus, they're wearing a mask to keep the virus in. How long can you have the virus and not spread it? We need more knowledge from the professionals. Some of the kindergartens are very well protected. The children are wearing masks. They're also wearing hats with screens. Good on them. And congratulations to some of the schools putting clear screens around the desk. It's a pity more restaurants can't put more screens around the tables so we can have families of four sitting down comfortably. That comes uh, from Jay. Adriana Chan, how do the children respond to um, mask wearing, social distancing and things like that? Is it possible? Will, will they do that even at this yeah. young age? 
It's possible. I mean, in our school, the, the children are very used to wearing masks now. So even right. young children, like, like, you know, three years old, they wear masks very well. But sometimes, you know, you know, they get saliva and so on, they get dirty. So we change this mask for them. So we have spare mask and then children also bring spare mask. About social distancing, of course, like children likes to play together. But in the classroom setting, we maintain maybe four children in a group in one table. Right. And playtime, playground, playground time, we just separate them, you know, or doing different stations so that, you know, only a few students playing in this slide area, the other four maybe playing in another area. So the teachers will be reminded them. Of course, kids, they don't know very well, but then they know the word social distancing. This is something that the new vocabulary they learn. <laughs> yeah, but, but of course, right. you need to keep reminding them, and that's the job of the teachers. Will right. you reflect some of these problems back to the government and to the, dis, uh, to the decision-making process? Because I, I just worry that come the end of the month, uh, there'll be another kid with a cough and there'll be another two weeks. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Mr. Chang, but for me, our, we are a small school, small potato, and our opinion is never be considered by the government. I would say nobody ever asks for my opinion at all, and we just get right. the the message. <laughs> Same from the general public. We just parents know before us because some parents are watching the news all the time, and we are working in the school. We don't have TV, and and we actually rely on parents to tell us, oh, the school is suspending next next Monday. Uh, okay, uh, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, uh, Adriana Chan there, founder and principal of Mass International uh, Preschool. And uh, thank you very much to uh, Mr. Chen Kai-Yin, who's the principal of the Kwokman Vernacular Normal uh, Anglo-Chinese Kindergarten. Thank you very much indeed uh, for uh, joining us. So I think Adriana Chan is going to stay on, actually. Good, good. Yeah, you can uh, perhaps uh, join us in our conversation with the, uh, with the doctors after the news at 9 o'clock. That's coming up. We also want to hear from you. A uh, quick email from Paul, uh, who says, looks like where we've crossed the Rubicon. It seems to me that since the, all the lockdowns from COVID-19, the government can now shut things down as and when they wish. What I'm watching these days is the systematic destruction of private businesses. Meanwhile, the government grows more powerful and even larger. What could possibly go wrong, uh, <laughs> says uh, Paul. OK, more after the news. Uh, before that, the weather. It's going to be mainly fine, in two words. Temperatures up to about 27 degrees. The outlook, sunny intervals uh, tomorrow. 23 degrees at the moment, with the relative humidity now at 76%. The cluster is believed to be linked to a hotel in the state capital, Adelaide, used by incoming travellers and local residents who can't quarantine safely at home. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back, Fact Chat. First one of the week this Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We continue to talk about aspects of uh, COVID-19 measures uh, in Hong Kong. We're focusing on kindergartens, the closure of kindergartens, which was announced last week quite suddenly in the first part of the uh, programme. We're looking at the medical aspects now, uh, but we also have a kindergarten uh, principal uh, staying with us. Uh, and we want to hear from you, of course, as ever. You can call us on 233-88266. You can email backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page and comment there. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. 
On Facebook, Victoria says, I will travel for work and Singapore is one of the destinations. By now, we've perfected how to get around travelling. It not only saves the company money, but logistics-wise, we all prefer it. I don't need to rush to the airport to catch the flight after work to only arrive in Singapore at midnight and type my time after work. I'm not the only one with that view. And now we need to pass three tests to complete the travel. What's the point? The proof is in the pudding. Let's see the stats, says uh, Victoria Tan, talking about the uh, talking about the travel uh, implications. And uh, on the uh, question of kindergartens, uh, S says one of the unfortunate side effects of online learning is that some of the students have their vision affected due to constant screen exposure. No idea of how common this is. And uh, Jay says, kindergarten education is much easier to handle at home because the books are much simpler. Primary school is a pain in the neck because most parents probably spend $6,000 a year on books. And instead of the teachers giving simple emails of read book one or two, one, two or three, they try to make themselves look more clever by having internet learning, which for the majority of families does not work very well. Just look at the exam scores uh, these past few weeks. Thanks very much indeed for that. Backchat.rthk.hk. Okay, we still have with Adriana Chan, founder and principal of the Mass International Preschool, but joining us now are Dr. Alvin Chan, paediatrician and council member of the Hong Kong Medical Association, and Sila Sridhar, clinical assistant professor from the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. Dr. Chan, maybe I'll start with you. Yes. Um, we've got colds, we've got flu, we've got COVID 19. What, how do these things interact? Yes, in fact, uh, when the um, weather changes, there could be allergic uh, rhinitis or, you know, hyperactive airway diseases. That's not necessarily infectious disease, all right? So right. Um, that means uh, when patients come to us uh, with a call for running nose, well, it might not be influenza if, of course, well, might not be a and it could be just asthmatic attack or just rhinitis. So uh, the doctors will have to have the clinical judgment. But uh, for the parents and uh, for the uh, staff working in the kindergarten or nursery, they might not have the clinical expertise to judge whether which is which. So uh, I think uh, education is important and uh, the medical care needs to be um, more penetrating to help the parents and the teachers to identify um, more the uh, influenza symptoms and right. the COVID-19 symptoms. For COVID-19, in fact, it is very uh, non-specific. It could be uh, more than the upper respiratory tract symptoms. It could be abdominal pain for the children, even uh, flat fever or even diarrhea. So I, I think uh, the doctors and the staff of the kindergarten need to be very careful. So uh, still, there could be misjudgments by the staff. So I think uh, that's why the government would like to press on with such um, stopping the school uh, red, uh, kindergartens running for, for the coming week or, or so. But, but uh, this, may, this may make some sense from a medical perspective, but taking life overall in its totality, yeah. 
closing all the kindergartens for at least two weeks is seriously disruptive. I totally agree with you. That's why I have the uh, opening introduction just now that, uh, well, in fact, every year there are episodes or epidemics of uh, upper respiratory tract infections. Right. Uh, in fact, recently it is not influenza. So for the cases admitted into the hospital or with rapid tests done in our clinics, the, 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 the bouts of infection outbreaks probably uh, just from uh, we call rhinovirus or enterovirus. So these are very common pathogens uh, in the past uh, winter seasons, and it's not as dangerous as influenza or, of course, not as COVID-19. So uh, I think, in fact, uh, what the Department of Health uh, is worrying probably is that um, there could be COVID-19 masked up in such an epidemic of rhinovirus infection. And uh, I I think uh, even in the past, with the um, clusters of uh, infections uh, of students with influenza, it won't amount up to a measure to close kindergartens so uh, rapidly. So this year, I guess, they are... Uh, responding to the risk of the fourth wave of uh, COVID-19. But I agree with you, that is so disrupting. And, uh, well, um, anyway, uh, I I think uh, it's not yet a fourth wave of uh, COVID-19, but it's impending. That's what the health officials are worrying about. Mr. Sridhar, what's your take on this? Hi, yeah, um, it's certainly very interesting. I mean, historically, we've always had outbreaks of colds in kindergartens and primary school settings, uh, simply because of the way kids interact and the fact that they shed more virus than infected adults, and for many reasons. But uh, it's never really amounted to school closures. So this time around, we've had a relatively... uh, mild virus, something like rhinovirus, essentially bringing the kindergarten system to its knees. I think the reason, the main reason for taking this measure was already actually mentioned. Uh, The fact is, if a child comes to school with a runny nose or say a little bit of a cough, very mild, or is running a very low-grade fever, there is simply no way to tell if the child is suffering from rhinovirus or COVID-19 or anything else. So it's very difficult for a person who's standing at the entrance of the school to make such a decision or even for a doctor to essentially differentiate between these conditions. So I would guess that the government is really very keen to wipe out transmission of any respiratory virus in the city apart from COVID-19 during this period of time. Because A, you you can't tell the two apart, so it causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of confusion and people who start to show symptoms. It's going to result, B, is going to result in an increase in healthcare utilization uh, and uh, as well as an increase in testing requirement. And it's basically going to confound the picture of uh, surveillance of COVID-19 in the city. So that would be the reason for what was done. Having said that, uh, I sympathize with parents. <laughs> it's tremendously disruptive and it's not a long-term measure. 
once these kids get back to school, you're going to have virus number B or C or D coming up, and uh, the, the, the transmission route is exactly the same, and it's going to happen again and again. So are we going to keep clo closing schools whenever there is another respiratory virus outbreak in schools? It's not a sustainable measure in the long term. So again, we have to look closer at how to um, you know, implement stricter uh, well, infection control measures in kindergartens to kind of reduce the risk of this, but this is quite difficult. <laughs> Adriana Chan, that, that's true, isn't it? You can't... You can't tell whether they've got COVID or not if a Absolutely. child comes to school. Of course, of course not. I mean, I think sometimes maybe even doctor can, unless you do test, lab Absolutely. test, right? We can't. We simply can't tell, tell them apart, especially during the early stage. Uh, we simply can't tell them apart. But just listening from uh, what the doctor said, the professional um, opinion, it just reminds me of a song like Suspicious, Elvis Presley, Suspicious Mind. <laughs> we can't go on together. We can't build our dreams on a suspicious mind, right? Absolutely, yeah. Is it, yeah, is it on, on guard, yes. uh, the doctors and the uh, parents should be on guard that uh, the symptoms could be very nonspecific, but the um, uh, deadly infection could come up with such nonspecific symptoms. Mm -hmm. uh, but with the evidence so far, there's no uh, influenza outbreak and there's no COVID-19 really in the community. Most of them are imported really. So I really uh, think that the government must step up with the uh, limitation or elimination of unnecessary exemption of testing at the borders. The, the tr that's why the virus yeah. comes into the community. But but there is th there are still local cases, aren't there? We, we we've got this persistent a few. A few yeah. yeah. Why why Just is that? Few. Why is that happening? Um, why have we still got those low level? But but um, also probably enough to stop the uh, the travel bubble scheme um that was it was agreed as far as i remember that uh if there were five or more uh local cases uh recorded yeah. then they wouldn't do that well we're at that level now aren't we we've got we had five cases uh on yesterday for, for five consecutive days for five consecutive days okay so if they keep that up then they won't even have the travel bubble to to singapore um, why, why is there that a, a small number, but quite persistent? Why is that happening? Well, there is a local transmission change that's been occurring, um, uh, especially. So that's why uh, I, I think now the uh, so uh, imported cases, not just from Nepal, from India, from other places, could go beyond the uh, border with the exemption of testing, and especially when these viruses could have been mutated. So it's just like a, a repeated scenario of the June uh, bringing into the third wave at that time is the nine Filipino sailors coming to Hong Kong with the mutated uh, E614G virus. Uh, and then the taxi drivers spread into the community. This time is also uh, some taxi drivers who had brought the uh, um, visitors into the community by the taxi drivers. Then, then I think so. That's why the government now should uh, aim at testing uh, the uh, taxi drivers uh, repeatedly. I mean, almost regularly. Mm. Uh, and uh, that is one way to find out the uh, hidden cases as soon as possible um, would you would you would you make that mandatory would you force them to do it uh, i guess the the officials the bureau is making it mandatory 
uh, they are going to have the mandatory screening for high-risk groups, uh, just like those uh, clusters of um, uh, taxi drivers, I guess, and also those with uh, they are limit regulating the hotel staycations. And I think uh, for for the uh, stopping enclosure uh, of the kindergartens, I think is the least uh, relevant of these three of the, those few measures. Right. What do you think of the uh, argument that some people have put forward that people will be deterred from seeking uh, medical help be, because they're afraid they're going to be forced to do a test? Uh, that is very, very relevant um, uh, question to ask. Um, we are worried about that too. Um, especially parents, I have to say, especially parents, uh, because yeah. they, they would be separated from their children. Yeah, because when yeah. there is a penalty, uh, when somebody refused to have the testing, um, then because uh, they don't want to be quarantined, they have to work, they have to have income, they have to take care of their children, etc., etc. Uh, so they don't want to be quarantined. And if, especially for the youngsters, I mean, younger people, they thought they are um, not that dangerous, even catching uh, the infection. Uh, that's why they might not uh, comply to the um, request by the doctors to test for the COVID-19. So from the medical point of view, of course, we think that it is important to have the testing. Um, we think that it is essential to have the testing of those suspected cases. But from the citizens' point of view, they want to work. They would have uh, income for the family. That's why they resist the testing. And that's why I think coming to this point, the government want to step in and so that everybody suspected have to be, has to be tested. So I think uh, it's a line to be drawn anyway. So uh, It sounds to me as though it's going to backfire, or there's a high uh, risk of it backfiring. Yeah, yeah. It could be risky for the doctors too, because uh, the doctors are more liable to be unable to help those who need the treatment. If they refuse to see the doctor, if they hesitate to consult doctors because they don't want to be tested. Mm. So we just want to help the uh, patient. But then if they refuse to see doctors, then we cannot help them. Ajahn Chan, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, the reason why people will not get tested because they don't want to be separated from children is absolutely, first of all, irresponsible. Second, it's very not sensible. Because if you get the test, and then if you really got the virus, you really need to cure it. Otherwise, you spread it to your family, your loved ones, and even worse, right? The, the consequence is even worse. And if you do the test and find out that you actually don't have the virus, then you feel more secure as well. So the, fact, the, the, the thing is, you don't get the test doesn't mean that you won't get the virus. You, you get the virus whether you do tests or not, right? It doesn't because of the test you get the virus. Mm. So it's good for you to find out. So this is the, I think this is the positive way to 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 face the reality and to protect the people. Would, would it be you. more reassuring if it were voluntary and just recommended? It is now voluntary, right? Just before, like in the whole 
uh, the government, right. uh, you know, ask all the people to do the voluntary test. I did, but some people said they, they have some reason they don't do it. Right now, EDB is pushing all the teachers, uh, schools to do voluntary tests. Our school, we have a primary school in Taipo because we are in Taipo, so we are the first batch to do the test today. And uh, it's voluntary, but as a school principal, I ask all the teachers to, to do it because it's also for for the sake of everyone. We, we are we are facing the children. We are teaching them every day. We should be responsible, and we assure that the parents that oh we are healthy and we are suitable to look after and teach the children. Right? Mm. It seems, <laughs> okay, yeah, Mr. Sido, maybe uh, here's an email uh, on the question of uh, imported cases, uh, which perhaps you could re respond to. Uh, Peter D says Saturday's press release by Sophia Chan ended with a somewhat cryptic footnote on the banning of flights this causing concern to households trying to get their children back from education overseas for the Christmas holidays. Quote, Professor Chan said that the government is looking at reviewing this rule and may change the threshold as well as the length of the ban. There has been no decision on the matter yet, unquote. While the government has been publishing good data on all cases throughout this whole outbreak, I found the data on imported cases to be opaque at best. How many cases are being picked up immediately on arrival and how many are emerging during the 14-day quarantine period? What is the relative case count from different destinations in relation to the number of flights, stroke passengers carried? How many linked cases are emerging from the surrounding plane seats? I made my own analysis on the data published on the government's dashboard for the past 14-day period. Of the 68 reported imported cases with flights in the past 14 days, 60 of those were reported within two days of the flight date. I assume that these are being picked up during the arrival screening before proceeding to quarantine. A further six have been picked up during the 14-day quarantine period, with the remaining two being reported overseas, presumably on turnaround from Hong Kong. Uh, given that all uh, HRC quarantines are subjected to a second test at 10 days, it appears that in this 14-day period at least, no one has become positive towards the end of their stay. What this is saying to me is that firstly, the airport screening, inconvenient as it may be, is catching over 85% of all imported cases immediately on arrival. And the mandatory quarantine, now 100% hotel, is catching the rest. I also see no evidence of COVID being caught from fellow passengers on flights into Hong Kong, except perhaps on a single flight from Nepal. The other point that jumps out is that if you do suspend flights to places like Kathmandu, you end up getting a huge spike of cases on the very first flight once the route has been reopened. My analysis is attached to your easy reference. I would be most interested if you could follow this up with the relevant authorities so we can learn more about the effectiveness of the whole process Hong Kong residents are being subjected to and the safety of flying in general. I'm in a quarantine hotel at the moment, hopefully about to be let out, and I'm generally supportive of the efforts being made by the government to prevent leakage from overseas, but frustrated that decisions are being made based on data that is being kept opaque to the public. That is from uh, Peter D. Uh, Professor Sura? Yeah, um, great points raised there uh, in that message. I actually also don't have access to that level of data as to how many cases are being uh, caught at uh, different stages of quarantine or how many secondary cases are linked to potential imported cases. But, it, it, I mean, it's like a net. Uh, uh, and right now we have a, fairly, a net with a fairly fine mesh to catch as many COVID-19 infected uh, uh, travelers who arrive into the city as possible. Uh, but the, the, 
I think on the flip side, because the community transmission in Hong Kong is relatively low at the moment, we are very wary of uh, COVID-19 being introduced into the city from overseas. For the simple reason that it is out of control everywhere, right? Uh, I mean, U.S., the U.S., Europe, uh, South South Asia. At the moment, the situation looks uh, quite grim. So there is a pretty high possibility that major COVID-19 outbreaks in the city are going to be seeded in from overseas compared to uh, the relatively low level of local transmission that we have at the moment. So for that reason, there's been a lot of effort to do what sometimes what is more than necessary to essentially come close to eliminating the risk. So, uh, I mean, uh, I guess it's very difficult to to to, to, to kind of um, argue against that. Having said that, I do agree with the point that, hey, uh, if there are Hong Kong residents stuck overseas and they need to come back, there needs to be a way for them to do that quickly, safely, and efficiently, right? So that has to be done. So for students who are overseas at the moment, they should have a safe way to come back as soon as possible, say for Christmas holidays or or, 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 or whatever. So uh, that 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 uh, also has to be uh, arranged essentially. So, uh, but even if the mesh is fine in our net, we're still going to miss some instances, uh, like happened with the flight from Nepal, where it's suspected that uh, one of the COVID-19 infected individuals did trigger some onward transmission in Hong Kong, but uh, no system is 100% uh, perfect, and it's just we just need to look into ways of uh, improving the whole system further. Well, Naohi, can I ask you about the vaccine? Um, you know, uh, news last week, uh, yeah. hopeful news uh, on, on a vaccine uh, being developed by an American-German company. Um, do you think that could be the answer? Yeah, very hopeful indeed. Um, the vaccine, uh, it was an interim analysis, um, and it suggested that the vaccine was uh, more than at least at least or more than 90 percent effective so what that uh, essentially means is very good news for other vaccine companies because everybody is targeting more or less the same kind of uh, uh, viral protein in their vaccine design so if one works it increases the chance that the others would have some degree of efficacy which means that we might eventually end up having uh, a few successful candidates that meet the WHO requirements right. for a successful... Because they're coming from the similar direction. Yeah, the the design is based... So, for example, Moderna, another U.S. company, is also designing an mRNA vaccine that is based on the same protein. So what about the extreme cold storage requirement? Exactly. Now, that is an issue with the uh, both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. That actually may not be too much of a problem in Hong Kong. We do, or, or in major cities worldwide, who would have cold storage facilities. So you vaccinate people as soon as possible and get more coming into the city constantly. So it should be manageable. But of course, if you're talking about rural areas or places that are ages away from cold storage facilities, then it's going to be prohibitively difficult to implement this vaccine. But they're trying ways to do that, like packaging and dry ice and things like that. So that remains to be seen. But there are many vaccine designs that don't need uh, uh, cold storage, and they're, they're targeting the same viral protein, so to speak. So... Those are options that uh, hopefully will start coming out later this year. Right, because minus 70 degrees centigrade, you're going to need to develop a a whole supply chain. You do need to develop a whole supply chain. Yep, it's it's easier in urban settings. Difficult, but still easier in urban settings. But in rural settings, it's it's going to be very difficult. And this we have known, um, 
you know, all along. But the com- the companies are smart. <laughs> you know, they feel there's a way to do it, or they wouldn't uh, continue developing this line. And uh, I'm sure. There's going to be a lot of innovation in the distribution and supply chain, so it's just as exciting as the vaccine itself. Okay, well, one more comment. This is from uh, Andrew, which uh, strikes a chord. Uh, Andrew says, with the subject line, taxes versus buses and MTR, in the past few weeks I've needed to get MTRs and buses around different parts of Hong Kong. As ever, no restrictions whatsoever have been suggested for these packed forms of transport. I still won't sit shoulder to shoulder with other commuters, but plenty of folk do. I stand if I don't have a space next to me, but standing at rush hour is pretty badly packed. Taxi drivers with COVID may be easier to rationalise as high risk, but will we ever find out how many of the currently daily unattributed COVID cases are caught on overcrowded, unregulated public transport? It is very striking, isn't it, uh, Professor Srila? The um, the MTRs jam-packed, <laughs> same as ever, and people are standing right next to each other. Absolutely. I mean, it's impossible to avoid Hong Kong being one of the most populated places in the world. Uh, we have jam-packed indoor areas in which transmission can occur, has probably occurred, and is probably occurring. So this is uh, difficult to avoid in different ways. I mean, all along we have chosen a path of keeping the city running to some extent at all costs, you know, avoiding lockdown at all costs. And we've been reasonably successful at doing Mm. so because of the high usage of mask coverings and other uh, uh, measures throughout Uh, We just have to keep doing that. But, I mean, the point that was raised is absolutely right. Jam-packed public indoor areas increase risk of transmission, whether or not people are wearing masks. So this is, uh, you know, a very important important point. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I think I I have to uh, supplement on the part of the storage of the new vaccine. On, uh, in a condition of negative 70 degrees Celsius. I think the government must be well prepared for this because we are talking about storing millions of such vaccines hmm. because we are going to have millions of injections for such vaccinations. We don't have such uh, storage capacity for so many vaccines in a minus 70 degrees Celsius. And also that would limit to the vaccination to the government um, uh, program, not the private doctors, because no private doctors, I think, in Hong Kong could have such um, uh, equipment. So I think the government must be well prepared for this. And even the American, they don't have such uh, equipment in most... Do do the private hospitals, do the big private hospitals, do they have stories? No, no, not yet. Mm. No, 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 no. You are talking about... uh, a big quantity of vaccines, not just hundreds or thousands of vaccines. You are talking about millions of vaccines. The government are talking about millions. Seven million people need two two doses. Mm. That's 14 million uh, doses uh, just for Hong Kong. Yeah, the logistics. Of course, we have to get the vaccines first. Mm. We have to be allocated the vaccines. Uh, It's not... uh, 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 um, automatic thing. We need to purchase them. But then uh, the storage thing. I, I don't. Whether, I don't know whether the Hong Kong government will purchase the Chinese vaccines and whether Chinese vaccines need to be stored and transported in such an environment. We don't know. It's just from uh, Moderna or from the Pfizer BioNet check uh, uh, program. So, but, but I don't know whether other viruses, uh, vaccines from other 
pharmaceuticals or countries also need such a storage requirement? If so, we really need to be well prepared. Okay. Well, Dr. Chan, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Alvin Chan, the paediatrician, council member of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Thanks to uh, Siddharth Thridhar, uh, clinical assistant professor from the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong, and Adriana Chan, founder and principal of the Mass International Preschool. Thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us this morning. Last word going to Mary, uh, who says, one has to question the IQ of your average Trump supporter. While they gather in D.C. to protest his election loss, he sweeps past with a large motorcade on its way to the golf course again this on a day that 184,000 new cases of covid were confirmed in the u.s surely an indication that his interest does not lie in protecting the welfare of the people that comes uh, from mary thank you very much indeed mike thank you very much our indeed. job to continue telling the truth that's right yes putting the facts before the people that's a, that's an advert for his <laughs> for mike's piece uh, in the uh, south china morning post today which is the which is about uh, RTHK. Recommended reading. The weather, mainly fine. Maximum temperature today about 27 degrees. The outlook, sunny intervals tomorrow. It's going to be relatively humid and warm during the day in the middle and latter parts of this week. The reading's now 24 Celsius and the relative humidity is at 72%. Under the vaccination subsidy scheme, the government subsidizes persons aged 50 or above pregnant women, children, persons with intellectual disability, persons receiving disability allowance, and certain CSSA recipients to receive influenza vaccination from private doctors enrolled in the scheme. The subsidy has been increased to $240 per dose. For details, visit chp.gov.hk or call 2125-2125. the news with Samantha Butler. An investigation is underway into Hong Kong's deadliest fire in almost a decade after seven people, including a nine-year-old, died in the blaze in Jordan last night. More than a dozen people are in hospital with at least seven in a critical condition. Police suspect the fire started in a flat that was being used as an unlicensed Nepalese restaurant. The Polytechnic University's Student Union is hoping to screen two documentaries about last year's police siege at a restaurant in Kowloon Bay after the school banned the screenings on campus. Tomorrow marks one year since the siege began on the Hong Hum campus, where there were violent clashes between anti-government protesters and police. And the Californian company SpaceX has launched a crew to the International Space Station, a mission that NASA says completes the transfer of its human flights to the private sector. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven, as well as oh shy, quiet, and retiring doggy cats, co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for cats. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning again and welcome to Monday. Brand new week here on Morning Brew. Going to begin as usual with Robbie at 1010. That's all the local and Asian rugby news. Tracy Kwan, all the way from New York, joins us after 10.30 for more Norman uh, Blooming Rockwell and a jolly good naked statue controversy. Some music for you after that. At the start of this year, singer-songwriter Paul 